Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are talking about helping agency recruiters help you with our guest, Cody Sklar. Cody co-founded Synapse International in 2013 with his partner, Ali. Having met while studying at McGill University in Montreal, they learned the business of recruiting very quickly and knew that it could help them achieve a common goal and fill a critical gap in the market. They could simultaneously make a huge impact with each and every hire they helped their clients make, all while serving the needs of startups who were at one time considered the black sheep of the tech recruiting industry. Where others steered clear of startups over concerns of financial viability and indecisive leadership, Cody and Ali saw the opportunity to work directly with other passionate founders and hiring managers to help them solve their toughest hiring challenges. To date, Synapse has helped over 300 venture-backed startups hire top talent all over the world with their clients spanning industries like artificial intelligence, blockchain, and connected devices, and filling roles of all levels across engineering, product, design, sales, and marketing. Cody is joining us from Vancouver, BC. And Cody, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We're excited to have you here. Thanks. Thanks again to have you, Lisa. Yeah, I appreciate it. We have a really cool episode here, and it's really kind of um, different in the sense that we have kind of almost like a two-part episode here, and the idea of helping recruiters help the job seeker. And we had a, an episode not that long ago with another recruiter, Jack Kelly, who really gave us a good overview of sort of what uh, the world of contingency recruitment, agency recruitment is like but we're going to get into some whole other topics on this before we do. So Cody, can you dive into, or is there anything you want to add to your backstory that wasn't covered off in that bio? You know, Allie and I, when we started this, um, we had only a couple months of experience out of school and we didn't know everything there was to know about the business. But, you know, what we knew from a couple months of working in a recruiting agency was, you know, if you can build a good relationships, you can go pretty much anywhere with this business. And if you can learn how to cultivate those relationships, you know, you can get even further. Um, so that was a lot of what we were doing in the early days. It was building our networks. It was reaching out to clients, a lot of, a lot of cold calling, cold emailing. Um, but we soon learned, you know, where our niche was. We learned um, how to speak to these individuals as well. And so, you know, eight years on, it seems like, okay, maybe we've been doing this for a long time. We've had the hang of it for a long time, but you know, in the early days, like any other startup, um, it takes time to understand where your position is going to be in the market and, and how to best address address those uh, you know those needs. I just love the go getterness, the like let's let's do this attitude, and we'll figure this out. Sort of build the plane as you're flying it. I think that's there's some real value for anyone who is building their career that you don't have to have it all figured out to make a move to do something that's significant. Just write that then and there we could probably hit stop on the episode and call it a day, but we know there's a lot more to be covered off. So uh, yeah, like we had this amazing episode with Jack and today we're going to talk a little bit more about actually diving into the nuts and bolts of how candidates can work better basically with recruiters. What would you say are like the main benefits to a candidate working with a recruiter? So, yeah, I mean, when we look at the candidate, the value that they're going to um, be able to, to take out of that relationship, um, ultimately, you know, again, like you said, Jack Kelly went into a lot of detail on this point, but we feel like working with the recruiter, um, you know, benefits a candidate in a few key ways. 
One being they're getting priority access to the hiring funnel, right? So if you imagine where companies are looking at candidates, where they're coming from, they've got jobs posted all over the web. You know, they're working potentially with other recruitment agencies as well who are going out and sourcing for talent. Um, they have referrals coming in from, you know, internal staff potentially as well. If they've got a referral program where people can, people, just anyone can just send them candidates. Um, so there's so many different sources coming in to a recruiter's applicant tracking system. Um, and when you think about where they have to, you know, basically pick and choose how they're going to spend their time. If you have a good relationship with an agency recruiter, if the client does, that is, um, those candidates are going to benefit greatly because they will be pushed straight ahead to the front of the line. So priority access is great. You know, I equate it to like being on the list at one of the hottest nightclubs, mm -hmm. right? That's how you're getting, getting frontline access. Um, number two, we see a recruiter as acting as a personal talent agent for the candidate as well. So you think about everything, you know, this, this analogy is probably best in sports or entertainment where the talent agent's responsibility is to speak on behalf of the candidate, right? To help them get the best, you know, offer possible at the end, but also just to keep them satisfied throughout the process, right? Make sure they have a good experience um, while they're interviewing, while they're negotiating, while they're meeting um, all these different, all these new people, frankly, right? I mean, sometimes that could be quite daunting as well. So introducing them the right way, you know, giving them uh, LinkedIn profiles of who they're going to be meeting with beforehand. So it's giving them that entire experience, trying to elevate it for them um, and ultimately give them the best outcome. And, you know, one more thing could be that the recruiters, you know, always able to keep an eye out for you as well in the future. So building a relationship with a, a recruiter today may not necessarily result immediately in getting a job, uh, but it can result ultimately in the long term of helping of helping you uh, still progress in your career. That last one's a great point. I actually just got an email today from a recruiter that I worked with many years ago about a position that I would have been qualified for. Um, and I'm not looking right now, but it's really cool to just have that come in and, and know that you're still sort of on their radar. I've been on a bit of a, maybe a, I don't want to say a rant, but like a, some discussions, some common discussions with uh, clients lately around the idea that there, there's a long-term game to be played and there's a big part of that in the recruitment game in and of itself. If someone can step away from the, the urgency of feeling like they have to find a job and concentrate on finding the people that can help them find a job and having a relationship with them, it sounds like that can be very much to their benefit. You're absolutely right. Um, there are times, Mike, where I'll take the approach just like you guys do of being a career coach as well, because if I understand a candidate has potential but may not necessarily be experienced enough to fill the roles I'm looking to fill right now, um, and this is what Jack talked about, where I'm, I don't have access to every company or every job in the world, I only have access to the ones that I'm working on, um, you know, I can act as a coach for those individuals as well and help to guide them on their journey to eventually help them land the jobs that they want or point them in the direction maybe of other agencies they can work with, um, help them, you know, identify hiring managers on their own so that they could reach out, you know, and kind of backdoor their way into a, to a recruitment process. You know, when you think about all the work a recruiter does, an individual who's seeking work can learn a lot from those skills and leverage a lot of those skills on their own in their own job searches as well. Cool. Well, so, I mean, you've kind of touched on something here that's interesting around the idea that a recruiter is only recruiting for the jobs that, that they have in front of them to recruit for. Are there any other limits to a recruiter's power within the hiring process? Yeah, it happens. Um, you know, I work with startups primarily. We'll probably talk about that throughout the call. 
But with startups, I have access directly to founders, to hiring managers, or, you know, to the one or two internal recruiters at a company. Like that's it, right? There aren't necessarily so many people in the hiring team. Um, the larger the company gets, the less and less uh, they value, in, in some cases, the individual recruiter relationship. And they do start to just look at you more like a resume shop, another mm -hmm. source of talent, one of 10 or 15 streams coming into the company, right? So that's certainly a limitation um, in some cases where I may not have the same access, the same level of, of access that I would have had uh, with some other clients. So in those cases, you know, we're just there to fill the top of the funnel. That's okay too. I'll still get paid, you know, if I place someone like that, but I don't necessarily have the same interactions um, or relationship where I'm getting feedback for candidates or I have all the right information to help them prepare for an interview. So in some cases, you know, I don't necessarily have, um, have all, all the tools that I, that I would like to in order to help those candidates work through. Um, another one would be, you know, a lot of, a lot of our clients, a lot of our clients expect us to find that unicorn. Um, you know, they come to us and they say, I need someone with X, Y, and Z skills and they need to fly as well. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough to just fill the job, uh, to just have the skills for the job, but they need to go above and beyond. Um, so I, I just tell people, you know, we're not magicians, you know, if, and, and the same goes for, for the candidate side, you know, I can't turn you into something that the, that the client's going to want necessarily. You either have it or you don't. Um, I can help you present it, you know, make it look good and everything. But if you're not the right fit, you're not the right fit. That's okay. Um, I can't con convince the client that you are. And we're not trying to trick anyone into thinking that you might be the perfect fit. Um, my job is to help, help you as a candidate identify the right opportunities so that you will get hired. Um, and for my clients, my job is to help them find that right person. So, you know, limitations are, are based on fit. I think that that's maybe the bottom line there. Yeah. That's such an important point. That last one, it's not like you can go into the interview for somebody and make it so that they're the perfect candidate. Like they, they still have to take responsibility for some of that <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. for the majority of that. Exactly. I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, you both probably talk this through with candidates all the time, right? When you're, when you're preparing them for interviews, it's like, you're not going to be in there holding their hand. They need to take the responsibility for, you know, how they present themselves for what you coach them on bringing to the table. You know, ultimately it's in their hands. What can a candidate do in your mind, Cody, to, be better positioned to work with a recruiter and maximize that opportunity? Well, I mean, let me throw it back to, to each of you, you know, just uh, to make this a little bit more conversational here. How would you get a recruiter's attention? How would you get on a recruiter's good side? How would you position yourself for success? I mean, I can tell you what I, what I like when, when candidates do, um, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, translate to what people want to do in general. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'll take a quick crack at that and then I'll kick it over to you, Lisa. I mean, the two things that come to mind really quickly are having a clear and concise delivery of the value statement or whatever you perceive as the value that you could bring to that role. Because a lot of people lack that. And so if you want to try and stand out in the sea of people that aren't necessarily communicating their value, that's one way. And the other one is through respecting that person's time. So in the way that you communicate that you are, if, if you get onto a 10 minute phone call, if you agree to a 10 minute phone call, that doesn't become a 30 minute phone call. It stays at 10 and it might go to 12. If you know, there is an invitation on one side to the other, that that's okay. And then maybe I'm being a little bit yeah. of a stickler, but like as an extreme example, that's, that's the idea that 
you can show your respect for another person and build a relationship faster if you commit and follow through on your agreements. So those are two things off the bat. Yeah, that's great. And preparedness, I think, is maybe in that second one, maybe mm -hmm. the, the underlying theme, right? If you come prepared to the call, there's no reason you need to necessarily spend more than, you know, the allotted time. Um, and, you know, the same goes for how you're going to present yourself to, to the clients. You know, the recruiter is trusting you to go out there and to, to be who you can be and to be the best you can be. And being prepared for an interview ultimately is going gonna, is gonna to shine a good light on the recruiter too, right? Being unprepared makes the recruiter look just as bad. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That seems so, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, I take the flack, you know, because that's my job. So if a client comes back and says, you know, whoever it is bombed today, you know, they look at me, they don't really care that the candidate bombed. They don't have a relationship with the candidate. They look at me and they say, well, you know, you blew it today and that's okay. That's okay. I'll, I'll hopefully make it up tomorrow. That's an important distinction though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're both, they're both critical um, parts of maintaining a good relationship with a recruiter, I think. For you know, sure. a couple more things I would throw in, and Lisa, you tell me if you have any other ideas, but, um, you know, kind of on the same lines as what Mike was saying, responsiveness is huge. I so value candidates that, you know, respond to me just as quickly as I get information over to them. Um, and I'm guilty sometimes of being a little bit slow. You know, maybe it'll take me a week or two to get back to you if I, my clients are not responsive, which happens all the time. Um, but you know, if I'm going to be giving you updates on a regular basis, you know, get back to me when I have good news for you. Get back to me if I have no news, you know, but I'm, but I'm updating you anyways. Just being responsive. It's just respect, right? Same like anything else. Um, and being forthright and transparent, I think, would be my other point. Because we're doing that, you know, as a startup recruitment agency. There's nothing to sugarcoat. You know, I always try to bring the most, um, you know, the most critical information, but also um, the most true information to my, to my candidates in our discussions, because sometimes they'll be doing their own research online, you know, about a certain company and there's not, maybe not as much information as they'd like. It's my job to fill in the gaps um, and to be upfront with them. And so I expect the same from candidates. Love that. And it, it also, the only thing I would really add to both of those is approaching it as a partnership with a common goal. When you're entering into any sort of, I mean, it's the same when people come into career coaching, you can't expect either party to not pull their weight. You need to approach it as two individuals coming into it with that common goal. And when you do that, everybody takes the responsibility that they need to take in that relationship and it's beneficial all around. You're absolutely right. If you, if you trust your recruiter and they trust you, you know, you trust the recruiter as your best interests in mind then you really ought to lean on them, you know, to put you on the path to success for your desired outcome here. So, you know, in this case, it's obviously getting hired by the right company for you. You know, at the same time, like you don't want them, you don't want the recruiter trying to push you into a job that's not right for you just because they think they can get you hired, right? Um, you know, a recruiter can help you if you ensure that your LinkedIn and CVs are up to date. You know, a recruiter can help you if they have additional collateral to share, you know, maybe that's a portfolio or other materials. Um, you know, just make sure all this data is accurate. It all lines up. There's nothing worse to me than when I get a, a CV and a LinkedIn profile from a, from a candidate and they don't line up, you know, all of a sudden, like, forget about the quality of your work over the years. You just, you know, your attention to detail here just kind of threw your candidacy out the window. Um, I literally had that happen last week. 
where a hiring manager was reviewing reviewing a CV. This one wasn't, uh, it wasn't at to do LinkedIn, it was on the CV. The period or the comma was in the wrong spot in a certain sentence. And I mean, listen, I may have missed it, um, but ultimately attention to detail. And that's what it came down to. The client didn't even bother reading the CV. He was looking and he saw punctuation and that was what it came down to. Makes sense. Let's eat comma grandma as opposed to let's eat grandma. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It makes a huge difference. And, and that's definitely something that I have noticed. I can, I can tell you from someone who sees a lot of pretty raw CVs from people who are starting out in their careers. And maybe this is the first, you know, real adult CV that they've tried to put together. And yeah, they're, there is that lack of attention to detail that comes around. And obviously just addressing that can have pretty dramatic impacts on your chances of actually going through in the hiring process. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean, when you overlook something like that, they don't really care that it reads that it reads differently because they can read through that. They care that if you're going to be working on their team, you may do that with some materials that have to go through your desk before they get published. Right. Or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they just see that right there as a telling sign of whether or not you're the right person for the job, even if that's not the case. Yeah. You know, they only take seven seconds. You probably have, have used that number somewhere before, right? That's mm -hmm. all it takes. Very key insight. In terms of looking at building a long-term relationship that's really strong and healthy with a recruiter, I feel like you just kind of weighed in a little bit on how a candidate can put themselves in a position to be uh, basically building that relationship for the long run but are there other things that you could add to what would go into having that strong tie between a candidate and recruiter? Yeah. I mean, well, in general, in general candidates, um, you can get as friendly as you want with the recruiter, you know, maybe don't have the highest expectations of them being, you know, buddy, buddy with you a whole year because they're filling jobs. That's their job. Um, but do expect that if you reach out once a quarter, just to stay in touch, you're going to stay top of mind. Um, you know, Lisa just heard, like she said at the beginning of the call from, uh, from another recruiter uh, about a job she spoke to a while back, right? You stay in touch with them. You're connected on LinkedIn. You like their posts. It could be as easy as that. Mm -hmm. They see your name pop up. They see your face more. You just remain top of mind. Um, so I think that's a great way to maintain a healthy long-term relationship. Uh, and again, it absolutely doesn't hurt if you've done well for them too. If you present really well in interviews, recruiters will remember that. If you know, if they've helped you get a job before, they won't forget you, um, you know, and, and probably, you know, no, you might have no idea how many candidates a recruiter has to meet with and manage on an active basis. So really, you know, don't fault them about, you know, about maybe forgetting about you for a short period of time, but just do whatever you can along the way to remain top of mind. Oh, another great one. Another great one. Sorry to add this in late here, but another great one would be if, if you have helped the recruiter grow their network um, mm. referrals, it's a huge, huge thing. If you're a great candidate, you might know great people, or even if you know, you're know you early in your career, but you've had a lot of mentors and you want to help your mentors you know, level up in their careers, referring people like this to a recruiter is just going to put you in higher standing with them as well. So one of the things that I found that has helped me so much in my work with recruiters is finding somebody that you also fit with. So we were talking about fit earlier with a job. Fit with a recruiter seems to be so important as well. I've worked with recruiters that have been 
a really great fit. We've just sort of hit it off from the beginning and I've worked with recruiters who we didn't and the relationship didn't really last very long. And both are okay. You just need to find the one that fits for you. I feel like we're adding a lot of humanity back into the idea of recruiting, because I think that's something that I feel like recruiting and you, you can tell me what you think on this Cody is that, uh, the, the world of recruitment has kind of had this bad rap, very impersonal kind of image painted onto it. And obviously there are people like you and a lot of other recruiters out there who are totally not like that. And they are invested in the actual human side of human resources. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be a very transactional business. And, you know, until I got into recruiting, frankly, I didn't know it was even a business to begin with. I didn't know it was an industry. I didn't know anything about this. Um, but having met some recruiters and hearing the way that they present and going in a very slow pace sometimes like this, it doesn't really inspire confidence. And, you know, you need to really understand you're talking to people. It's a people business. So, having the ability to converse with them and to get on their level. I mean, I like to open up every call with just breaking the ice if I can. I know I may only have 10 or 15 minutes in some cases, but if you don't start there, you're really just going right into the transaction. And that doesn't really bode well for anything long-term. You know, the candidate in some cases may be using me. I may be using them just to, you know, just Mm -hmm. to get through the door. Um, That's okay. It's part of the business, but you know, long-term, those relationships don't really thrive. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about your business directly because I've worked with startups. I've worked with people who are wanting to get into startups for the first time. And I think that you have a ton of really great knowledge to share on that. So your company specializes in recruiting for high growth startups. What would you say are some of the unique challenges that these companies face when it comes to recruitment? I should probably first set the stage for what a startup means to us. Um, startup typically is venture backed is growing, you know, at a relatively healthy pace. Um, you know, they could be as big as four five, 600 employees already, but that venture backing is part of the key to what allows them to have the accelerated growth. Because when a company instantly gets this huge cash injection injection from their, their venture capitalists, um, it needs to be spent on growth and specifically on hiring and building out certain teams. So I step in where that opportunity exists. In some cases it's fresh funding, in other cases, you know, they're at the tail end of it, but they still have critical needs to fill. Um, so that's really, you know, kind of encompassing what startup recruiting is all about. And it's the reason why there is a need to grow. Some of the challenges that these startups face, well, number one, you could probably both uh, assume this one already, but you know this is this is me telling you the truth about it. They do have lower budgets, right? Startup companies are always going to be looking to spend a little bit less cash and balance that off, you know, offset it with equity if they can. Um, ultimately, joining a startup is you know you're doing it for a very different reason than you'd be joining a larger corporation. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have the same level of stability long term, but you know most people kind of get that wrong about startups too. They're not going to hire you with less than a 12 month runway, for example, right? They're not, they're not expecting that they're going to be out of business in a year. So that risk factor, it's a little bit overblown, um, but they do offer typically a little bit less cash, a little bit more equity. um, And, 
at this early stage of growth, it doesn't always make up the difference, right? So that's still a challenge faced by these startups. Another one would be, you know, we're using the, the, the umbrella term startups because, you know, it, it, it says something about the nature of, of their businesses, their unknown quantities as well. You know, they just started. Uh, we don't know about them long-term. We may not even know their brand. The first time I reach out to candidates, I need to explain to them what the company does. Yeah. You know, it's not Coca-Cola. It's not Procter & Gamble. It's not Apple. They have no idea what this company does, who they are. So that's, again, a huge challenge for the startups is cultivating a brand that inspires, you know, trust and, and um, has hopefully a, a mission that people want to get behind. Um, you know, something that, that you can't really measure without knowing more about a company. You can't measure its risk. You can't measure its future viability, how sustainable, you know, their business model is. So again, people generally don't make decisions to join a startup unless the, re the reward far exceeds that risk. Mm -hmm. um, and ev everyone's appetite for risk is different. That makes sense. Another challenge. Yeah, those are, those are a couple that I thought of. You know, another one would be they do need to spend the money on hiring, but they don't have the expertise in hiring. So this is where we come in, right? This is the challenge that recruiters solve for. You know, they might be a 15 person team and not a single person on that company is focused entirely on hiring the next 15 people. Um, and that's a huge challenge because mm -hmm. if you don't have someone who's dedicated to ownership over that process, you end up having each hiring manager, which, you know, could, could be five or 10 people in a company having to manage their own processes, having to identify their own sources of talent. Um, you know, people are not applying to jobs uh, for a lot of these startups if they're unknown quantities as well. And, you know, just to be frank, and this is maybe going to come as a shock to some of your, your, uh, your own clients in terms of those who are looking for coaching, but when you're applying to senior level jobs and you don't have the senior level experience, I think that you end up getting rejected more often than not. Um, and so, you know, when I'm talking about the reason why we fill that need for startups is because they're not looking for job seekers. They're looking for people who are gainfully employed, you know, who are already senior level contributors at other companies. Um, so they, they do have uh, another level that they have to kind of get to, to, to go out there and, and attract those people. And, you know, if we can be that, that recruiting hunting arm, you know, selling to candidates, going out of our way to, to identify them, qualify them, um, you know, we do help to solve that challenge. I think that's so important for people to understand when they are starting to go into that space, because like you're saying, it is very different than going into a company like Coca-Cola and the recruitment process is very different. So it's great to have that kind of base level of understanding. You sort of touched on this. Why do you think it's so important for candidates to work with a specialized recruiter such as yourself? Well, I don't recruit uh, for jobs in the construction industry. I don't recruit for jobs in you know, the medical devices industry or for accountants. I recruit for tech startups. And so that typically includes a wide range of positions, but it's concentrated to a few categories being, you know, I think Mike mentioned it in my intro, engineering, product design, marketing, and sales. Almost every startup in the world is gonna have to fill positions in those five departments. Um, and, that's, and that's where we excel. I can point you in the direction of people who excel in other fields, but, you know, those are the ones that I'm good at. So, you know, when you ask why should you be looking or working with a specialized recruiter, because same way, you know, you're specializing in your field, they specialize in theirs. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And just to kind of put a further example down on that, 
versus what you do, right? Jack Kelly specializes in placing people in compliance roles on Wall Street. That's it. Hyper focused. Yeah. yeah. That's super clear. I, yeah, I've I've met a, I've met a lot of recruiters who do the same thing. My, you know, when I say I, I recruit for tech startups, that's not the end of it, right? I always have to I have to get deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jax is like right there in your face. This is the one thing that we do, and we're the best at what we do. You know, it helps it helps for him to present it as a niche like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure over the years that's been that's been one of the things that people can always you know come back to and and qualify uh, quantify with Jack. That's what he does. Is there anything you sort of mentioned that the risk of viability is a little bit overstated for startups. Is there anything that candidates should look out for when considering a startup for employment? Yeah, um, there are a couple of things. So funding is still important. I don't want to say it's not important because I've also recruited for companies that have raised $25,000 and they can't afford to pay anyone. So, you know, if, if first off, I have to do my due diligence as the recruiting agent in that case, but assume I'm, I'm cut out. I have nothing to do with this process. The candidate's just you know, interviewing with a startup, they should try to get an understanding of, you know, where that company's money is coming from, um, who the investors are, not just how much they've raised, because that also is a telling sign of, you know, what kind of, what kind of uh, backing they're going to have potentially down the road as well. Um, You know, an advisory board, you know, smart people typically get behind smart people, smart business ideas. So just looking for more positive signals, I think, um, everything now is online too. If if uh, if candidates are listening to this call, they should familiarize themselves or this this uh, recording rather. They should familiarize themselves with Crunchbase, with AngelList. You know these are fantastic places to just unlock you know as much information really as you want to um, on any company that's raised even the smallest amounts of funding all the way through to their to their IPOs. Um, I think my last one on that in terms of what candidates should be looking out for and considering startup employment is vision. Um, You know, these are companies that again are unknown quantities. So you need to, you need to understand, you know, where they're going, you know, get behind obviously that mission. If you thought, if it's not something you believe in, you might have a tough time putting in the extra hours that startups typically ask you to, Um, you know, you're doing it for yourself at the end of the day, because if they're compensating you with equity as well, you're an owner in the business. So you really need to be mission driven. And if the leadership, you know, has a really strong vision that you can get behind and you know that, you know, that will be something you don't have to worry about, you know, along the way, you're just going to do your part of the job to help the company achieve that. then that's a great place to be in. Amazing. And I, I do talk about this with clients too, across any industry, whether it's a big company or a small company, you're going to be more invested in the work that you're doing if you are tied to that mission, the mission and vision. <laughs> so it is really important to make sure that if there are other challenges that you're going to be facing, that you're at least feeling really confident with that. So a couple of more tactical questions. How do you normally recommend a candidate prepares for an interview? I should be asking both of you that question. <laughs> Yeah, listen, I'll take I'll take the first one. Um, but I'd love to really hear more from both of you because it'll just help me in in how I prepare candidates too. Number one is, you know, study. Just don't don't assume you know anything. Um, a recruiter may have given you a great pitch, but they were selling you on something as well. So study the details. Um, again, almost everything can be found online. And if it's not, ask a recruiter, ask the hiring manager, ask the person who set up your interview. 
for anything that you can use to prepare. Don't be shy, right? They've already booked your interview. You're, you're going in, at, you know, see what else you can learn beforehand to prepare, to prepare yourself. Um, this is the real world. You know, people assume maybe some of your clients um, on the coaching side assume it's like school where they're not going to get a study guide before the test or where they can't have a cheat sheet or anything like that. You absolutely can, you know, they prepare job descriptions so that you can have it to prepare for the call to know what the responsibilities are like, what the requirements are like. Don't ignore it. You know, if it's there, use it to your advantage. Um, if it's a technical assignment or a technical interview, do some practice questions. There's ton, tons of resources online for this as well. Um, you know, I don't really know if there's with, I was going to say like, are there practice tests for behavioral interviews there probably oh, are probably. yeah i have heard of someone who is i can't remember their name unfortunately i can't give them this shout out but i have heard of someone who has built some sort of a little platform that runs uh candidates through a set of common behavioral questions so that they can practice they can record it they can play it back and i mean i think any kind of an you could you don't even need any fancy piece of technology to do that you could even just practice yeah. recording into your phone and play it back but any kind of feedback mechanism is huge for sure. Yeah, definitely helpful. Um, my last thing on, on prep would be, you know, I think I said this earlier, but learn your interviewer. Um, they get your resume and your CV, but what you're not supposed to know who they are or mm -hmm. anything about them when they're talking to you. So everyone's on LinkedIn, find them on LinkedIn, ask your recruiter for their profile. Who am I speaking with? Um, you know, just get to know them a little bit, just a tiny bit so that the ice is more easily broken. Um, because again, that, that, that goes a long way towards um, how well the call is going to go in the end. And people feel so awkward about that. They're like, well, it feels like I'm stalking the person online. It's really not. This is exactly what LinkedIn is for. Correct. Yeah. It's, uh, it's working both ways for sure. Don't, don't get, don't kid yourself, dear listener. If I could yeah. add something just around interview prep that I'm often talking to, to clients around is, we mentioned this earlier, like being really clear and rock solid and maybe even getting some practice in on sort of what are some of the key value statements that you bring, not to sound like a robot, but to just really authentically believe it. And you can practice that to other people. You could practice it to a mirror, but like if you don't actually trust the words coming out of your mouth, it's going to yeah. show up come, come game day. Once you're at the interview table, it's going to show up. Um, and off of that, the next thing being, having some stories in the bank that actually when you talk about behavioral questions, right? So things like how do you handle difficult situations, interpersonal relationships, things like that. Make sure you actually spend some time getting some questions for yourself answered with stories that look back into your past that can connect to the kind of situation that the employer that you're dealing with in the present can also relate to. Because I think that's how we ultimately build these connections based off of no like, and trust is it if the other person who's interviewing you other side of the table can actually see you and the humanity that you bring to the role and the skills that you bring to what's being asked uh, together. That's what makes a really compelling interview story. You're absolutely right. And so many people um, have a difficult time pulling up those, those ideas on the mm -hmm. spot, even though it's their life, it was, they were their own experiences. Right. But if you didn't, think about it beforehand, you know, and you kind of should have expected the question, be prepared, right? It's so easy. Love it. The only final thing I would add is if you look at the job description as a problem that you're solving, 
and you think about how your experience solves the problem for the hiring manager, all of the stories and everything that comes out around your value relates directly to that problem. And you're able to, and I don't want to say convince because it's, you're not convincing, you're just explaining. You're explaining that this is the experience that I've had that's going to help you because. Boom. I love that packaging. All right. So we have some questions that we ask to all of our guests. And the first one being, what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? My partner, Allie, actually likes to, to present this one to candidates that we're considering for our team to show them how much fun recruiting can be. Uh, there was one year, it was the Christmas holiday, and uh, we, were, we had a lot going on. We had probably five or six deals on the table going into, into the holiday, um, and I was heading down to Florida. And I just remember that over the course of that one week, you know, Christmas to New Year's, we closed about six deals and I was literally taking calls at the time from the beach, from the boardwalk, you know, from wherever I was so that we can get, get these deals closed. And uh, that just, you know, it was again, a reminder of how flexible the recruiting lifestyle can be. Um, and that, you know, if you're working hard and if you put everything together at the right time, you can be closing deals on the beach. So that was pretty fun. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Right. We also like to talk about a little bit of risk because most people face some sort of risk within their career. So what would you say is the biggest risk that you've taken and how did it turn out? Well, the biggest one was probably the first one, eight, almost eight years ago, quitting that first job to start my own business. Uh, got it out of the way early and, you know, it proved to be a smaller risk than most people think. You know, it's, you know, you have no obligations, you have nothing but opportunity in front of you. So, you know, unless there was something really keeping you tied to that job, which, you know, at the age of 23, there aren't too many things keeping you tied anywhere. Um, you know, take that risk. If, if you see, if you see the opportunity and the upside, um, I've, I've taken plenty of risks. You know, there was uh, another story again, Ali likes to tell when we're, when we're talking to people about our commitment to the job, um, and this was a risk in a different way, but, you know, it was early days and I was still playing, uh, I was playing softball, you know, rec softball in the evenings, a couple nights a week. And we were close. We were very close to placing uh, a VP of product at a high growth startup in New York. I had a candidate on the hook close to closing him. He was in London. I needed to speak with him urgently about an offer that was coming in. Um, it was the middle of like the third inning or something. And I hear the phone ringing in my bag and I know that I know it's him. I have no choice. I have to answer the phone. So I take the phone call from the bench. It's going on longer than I anticipate. Our team's going out to take the field and I'm still on the phone and I'm running out there and I'm still talking to this candidate <laughs> and needless to say, you know, most of my team was pretty shocked and furious that this is how I was acting on the field. But you know, little did they know, most of them, again, 23, 24 years old, early stages of their careers as well, they didn't know I had $50,000 on the line. And mm -hmm. that was, you know, that was a massive opportunity. And so, you know, taking, taking a risk in a way, you know, showing up my teammates, making them, you know, maybe feel uncomfortable and not understanding what I was really doing. I hope today, if any of them are listening to this, they understand why I did what I did. Um, didn't end up being life and death for the team either. I think we were losing pretty badly that day. <laughs> so, so ultimately, you know, it was something I needed to do, um, you know, to, to just, just to do right, to do right by my other team, my work team. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. I'm just the, the visual of you holding your phone and having a baseball softball mitt on the other hand and hoping that a ball doesn't come at you like handless hitting you in the face or something <laughs> like that, you know, like my imagination getting the best of me, but I can see how, how fascinating. Oh, it was is. just like that. It was just like that. <laughs> your imagination has it just, has it just right. And I just want to pause on that point too for another second, because I know that people who are ambitious and starting out in their careers and doing something that maybe their peers aren't as invested in their careers at that point can be really challenging from the, just the way that people look at you and how you are those instances. And it just goes to show that you were able to get through it and looking back on it now, you can laugh about it and it's progressed your career in, in such a big way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I didn't, if I didn't take the chances back then that I needed to take, you know, first off, I may not be where I am today, but also I don't know if I'd have my own, you know, self-respect because that's really what it does ultimately take. I mean, if you're going to do anything on your own, you can't expect anyone around you to always understand the decisions you have to make, but you got to make them anyways, the tough ones. I feel like that leads really nicely into one of our last questions, which is what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received, Cody? Hmm. probably the only one that I wasn't prepared for. And, be, and maybe because, maybe because I'm still, I'm still just getting advice all the time. You know, I get a lot of advice from my grandfather. I get a lot of advice from my dad. I get a lot of advice from my clients. Um, there was one, one that'll always, always stick in my mind. You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's silly, but it was a client, you know, who I was dealing with. And in my, in my, in my discussions with him, I'd use the word honestly a lot, you know, like, honestly, you know, I think that this is the direction you should go in or to tell you the truth, you know, the candidate is worth, you know, X amount of dollars. And he stopped me short one one time and he just said, Hey, I think, you know, just, just word of advice, you should probably stop leading with, you know, tell you the truth or honestly because you're going to start to make people think that you're maybe not as honest as you are. You know, if you have to lead every sentence with something like that, it just positions it as what you don't, you know, do you not believe that you're telling the truth or do you, do you not think that what you're sharing sounds truthworthy, um, trustworthy? So that'd be one. Yeah. That'd be one that, that again, I, I, like I said, I know that, that it has always stuck with me and I rarely, rarely if ever pull it out anymore. Um, just because I want people to believe that what I have to say is true and I shouldn't have to mask it with that when I start a sentence. I hear it a lot still with candidates, by the mm -hmm. way, and I don't, I don't always bring it up, but I'm sure both of you as well, you, you know, people who use that, that a lot. Oh yeah. Catching people on their behavior that they're not even aware of and that is sending all kinds of signals to people in ways that they don't intend to. Yeah. That is definitely part of what we signed up for. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I love it. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, Cody? We talked about it this whole call. Find us on LinkedIn. Find my whole team on LinkedIn. You know, we have a massive network ourselves. Um, and head over to our website, synapseint.com. We actually just launched a new version of the site. It's beautiful. It's clean. Um, it'll help you find exactly what you're looking for, you know, whether you're a client or a candidate, uh, we'd love to have you. So come on down, connect with me on LinkedIn too. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. I just saw your site today. It's really cool, actually. And a great place, I think for 
both ends, clients and candidates to be checking out. Uh, I love what you're doing. It's been really cool having this conversation with you. I really appreciate, you know, both of you having me on today, you know, having a discussion like this that I, I, I think candidates and clients alike, uh, you know, in this, in this space should love to hear about um, and keep doing the work that you're, you're doing as well. Thank you. Thank Much appreciated. You. I think we can call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Synapse International. Check out Cody Sklar and his team. We hope you are well. And we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Career Builders Podcast. Do you know someone who takes their career seriously and would appreciate the show? Why not share it with them? You'll help your friend with their career development while helping us spread the message of TCBP. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks for your support, and we'll catch you again next week.